Let's get a start this morning. If I were to ask you who the shortest person in the Bible is, you would say, and you would be wrong. Because the answer is Nehemiah. I'll go ahead and see myself out. Um, that was my, my 10-year-old told me that joke this week and gave me permission to use it in my sermon, so give credit. Although he reminded me in the lobby earlier that I'm the one who told him the joke, but I don't remember that. I'm creeping up on that age where like, I just don't quite remember things like I used to, right? Like You ever do that thing where you walk in the room and you can't remember why you walked into the room? Yeah, it happens. It's a real thing. Um, anyways, to actually get to the sermon... Um, we've been in a series, we've got some guests with us this morning, we've been in a series through the book of Nehemiah, uh, and, and this morning we're like kind of crossing over the halfway point, so congratulations, go ahead and pat yourself on the back, you made it. Um, but, but up to this point, um, like we've just been moving through the book, kind of started in chapter one, kind of followed Nehemiah's journey uh, up to the point uh, where we'll be this morning. And so, um, Lord willing, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah uh, through the end of October, uh, and then once we get to the end of October, we'll do a little short series in November, and then we'll hit the Christmas stuff uh, and Advent stuff in December. And yes, it is almost Christmas, so congratulations, you've almost made it that far. I, I just stressed a bunch of you out, didn't I? I know I did. How, how many guys, like, the first day of fall, I think, was yesterday or maybe Friday? How many guys are already, like, itching to get that Christmas tree out? Okay, a few of you, all right. Too soon, guys, too soon. Um, anyways, Nehemiah 6, all right, here's the plan this morning. We're going to work through the uh, kind of the narrative chunk pretty quickly, and then we'll spend some time sort of on the back end uh, just trying to draw out some, some really practical applications, all right? So let's start reading. Like I said, we'll just kind of read, work through it chunk by chunk, starting in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. <clears throat> so, what we got happen here, if, you, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you may remember this. If not, I'll, I'll catch you up. Um, some, some names from the past, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, we learned a little bit about them. This is not their appear first appearance on the scene, all right? They are enemies to Nehemiah and to the Jewish people, um, and they're kind of like gnats, to be quite honest. Like, they just won't go away, right? They're just annoying, okay? So they're back on the scene here, uh, in, in chapter 2, they try to discourage Nehemiah. Uh, here, uh, uh, let me back up. Chapter 2, they try to discourage Nehemiah. Jump to chapter 4, they were trying to uh, sort of discourage him from the work and actually like made threats against him and were going to come against him and fight. Uh, and, and none of that stuff gained traction. So what we have here in chapter 6 is they're back on the scene again, and this time they're trying to uh, distract Nehemiah from the work at hand. Right? Look at verse... Three, this is Nehemiah's response to, to their distractions. He says, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Right? So Nehemiah sees this for what it is. It's a distraction, but he's undeterred. And so what we also see, though, is that these guys are persistent, right? annoyingly persistent. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Right? So they just keep going. Right? But then verse 5, they kind of a little bit of change in strategy. Right? Like they wouldn't take no for an answer, but Nehemiah keeps saying no. And so verse 5, they kind of switch his gears. It says, in the same way, Sam Ballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Judah, there is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now... Come and let us take counsel together. All right, so he gets a little more subversive, Sam Ballot does, in his attempt to de, uh, discourage and, and distract Nehemiah from the work. Right? He, he says, hey, you know, word on the street is you guys are planning to sort of rebel and sort of form your own kingdom here. Right, now, that's not the word on the street. That's what Nehemiah says in the next verse. He says, uh, then I, that's Nehemiah, sent to him saying... No such things as you have been done, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. And then he goes on in verse 9, it says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. And then you get this little quick hitter sort of prayer. Nehemiah is good at this throughout the book. He says, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Right? So, so Nehemiah sees here, like this is, all this is is just an attempt to distract him, to distract the people from the work that they were given to do, which was to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Right? All these attempts, persistent, annoying attempts to just take their eyes off of the work and to put it on other things, to distract them from uh, completing the work that God has given them. But their, uh, their attempts get even more subversive. Because right, what we see is that distraction itself is not going to work. Um, but, but here's what happens next, right? Verse 10. Now when I, this is Nehemiah, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Right? So what we see here is, is all of a sudden now, like this guy, um, Shemaiah, who's kind of like a prophet of some sort. Right? He's, to some degree, people believe that he speaks on behalf of God. Whether or not he did or not can be determined. But, uh, but what we see here is that he reaches out to Nehemiah. He's like, hey, Nehemiah, listen, I'm going to do you a solid your enemies are coming to kill you, so why don't you come with me into the temple? We'll take counsel there. You'll be safe there. Your enemies won't find you there. Right? The only issue is Nehemiah sniffs this out pretty quickly. He's like, wait a second. 
Because Nehemiah knows the word of God. And what Nehemiah knows is that uh, as, as good and godly of a man he is, he is not permitted to go into, the, like nobody gets to just waltz into the temple. Right? So Nehemiah knows, like, wait a second, I, if this guy is a prophet, like he would know, like, I can't go in the temple. And so that's what we see in verse 11, Nehemiah's response. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. So, so Nehemiah sees that there's something not adding up here. And then what we see in the next verse is that there's a man or there's men behind the curtain. Verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because... Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So when all-out distraction didn't work, right? They're like, they're trying to, hey, they're sending letters. Hey, come down from the work, right? Come meet with us. And when that doesn't work, they're like, hey, there's rumors going around that you're trying to rebel, and that doesn't work. So they kind of go like under the radar and try to uh, hire this prophet to convince Nehemiah to take his eyes off the work, to take the people's eyes off the work, right? it's, it's all like a conspiracy, right? So you got some shady business going on here, right? And so, like they were, when distraction didn't work, they, res, they result, to, or they resort to deception. Right? You got distraction, and you got deception. Right? And what I want to do is just press pause on, on Nehemiah here for a second, and just bring to your attention that. That this is like what's happening here. Right? The enemies of Nehemiah trying to distract him and deceive him to keep him from the work that God had called him to. This is like a, a little microcosm of the Christian life. Right? Here's, here's what I mean. Right? The book of Nehemiah is the story of God saving this people, bringing them back from exile, back from separation. And he, he restores them, right, to their land, okay? And then he gives them a work to do. I want you to rebuild the wall around the city. I want you to rebuild, uh, rebuild the city, right? And if, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, like, in a way, that's your story, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed. You've been brought back from separation from God, right? You've been restored reconciled into a relationship with him, okay? And not only have you been saved from something, I mean, you have been saved from something. You've been saved from sin and death and an eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. You've been saved from something, but you've also been saved to something, right? This is the way that, that Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And catch this, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Christian, believer, follower of Jesus, whatever word you want to use or phrase you want to use, you have been created for good works. Right? You've been created for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to walk in the good works that the Lord has for you. But like Nehemiah, all throughout the book of Nehemiah to this point, but, but especially this morning, like Nehemiah, you also have an enemy that is trying to distract you and deceive you and take your eyes off of the good work that the Lord has called you to. Now, here's how Peter warns first century exiles. This is like five, six hundred years after the story of Nehemiah. First Peter 5, 8. Peter's warning these first century believers. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. All right, pay attention. Why? Because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? We all have this enemy. Believer and unbeliever, but I'm talking to believers right now. Like, like we have an enemy that is trying to distract us and deceive us and take our eyes off of the good work that the Lord has called us to. Right? And like he's trying to destroy us. Devour is what the, the text is. He's trying to devour and destroy us. Okay? And what I want you to see is like being devoured and destroyed by the enemy rarely looks like the stuff you see in movies. Like the demonic stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like Linda Blair, like levitating above the bed and her head spinning and walking backwards down the stairs, like that kind of stuff. I'm not saying like we should mess around with that stuff, but what I am saying is like, like the enemy doesn't have to make a big spectacle out of how he devours and consumes you if he can just kind of lull you to sleep, kind of pacify you and lull you to sleep with distraction and deception. Right, so... Here's when I want to spend some time kind of asking, addressing, answering this question. Is what does this look like for us today? Like what does it look like for the people of God today, some 2,500 years after Nehemiah? What does it look like for us to be distracted and deceived by the enemy? Okay, so let's start with with distraction. Um, Show of hands, which is always dangerous. Show of hands, how... (laughs) Tracy's just like, I'm in. Count me in. How, how many of you guys have like a show that you binge watch on Netflix or Amazon? You can be honest. You're in church. The Lord knows. Okay. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I know you guys watch some shady stuff. Okay. I just assume that's true. All right. We've all got a show that we watch that we, that we like. Okay. Um, now, let's layer deeper. So first, that, that show in and of itself, whatever it is, is probably a distraction from other things you could be doing, right? Now, let's take it a layer deeper. How many of you, if you pull up the show, Amazon, Netflix, whatever, to watch it, you get about three minutes into the episode and you realize you already don't know what's going on because you've been looking at your phone for the last two or three minutes? Yes. And so, think about this. The show itself is a distraction, And then you find yourself distracted from the distraction because of the distraction that you're holding in your hand. Right? Like, and these things are just meant to, like, they're designed to distract us anyways. Right? Now, listen, it's a goofy example. I get it. But if it's that easy for us to be distracted from, like, in the physical realm, like, things that we can actually, like, see and touch, and it's that easy for us to be distracted, 
how much easier is it for us to be distracted when it comes to spiritual things? Right? Things that the Bible would say are, are unseen but are no less real. Right? Distraction, like we're just a distracted people. Okay? And, and listen, your enemy knows this. Right? There's a, a great quote from the book, The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read it or not. Um, the, the premise of the book is it's C.S. Lewis, if you're familiar with him, Chronicles of Narnia, all this sort of stuff. Um, he wrote this book, The Screwtape Letters, and the premise of the book is he is writing as an older, wiser, more experienced demon, and he's writing to his younger demon nephew, uh, trying to give him some tips on how to, uh, some uh, help on how to destroy the human that he's been kind of assigned to destroy. Right? And this is what he says. So again, this is an older, wiser demon writing to a younger one. It says, Whenever humans are attending to God, we demons are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. And the simplest is to turn their gaze away from God towards themselves. Like, it's a fiction book, but, like, it feels, like, uncomfortably real. Right? That's just what the enemy does. Distract us. Take our eyes off of the Lord. And listen, he'll use, like, he'll leverage our passions, our desires, our interests. Like, anything it takes, good things, to take our eyes off of the Lord. Right? Like, like, we're not all, like, let's, let's, all right, here's an example. Most of us, most of us, let's say we stopped at the gas station down the road here, Circle K, on the way to church this morning, and some dude tried to offer us a hit off of his crack pipe. Most of us, I say most because I don't know all of you, most of us would not be distracted by that. Like, I would not have a problem just being like, nah, no thanks, walking on, okay? But sign little Johnny up for, like, travel baseball, travel soccer, now, that's a distraction, right? Like, most of us are not going to, we're not going to be distracted by the dude offering us to hit off his crack pipe, but, but, man, sign your kid up for travel sports, and all of a sudden, you, it doesn't take long for you to look back and realize, I can't remember the last time I spent any meaningful time with the Lord. I can't remember the last time I spent any meaningful time with, with God's people. And listen, I, I'm not dogging you sports. I love sports. Right, one of my favorite things to do right now is watch my little girl show up all the snot-nosed little boys on the baseball field. Like, because she's good. Like, she's legit good. She got her athleticism from her mama. Okay, like, so I'm not dogging sports. I'm just saying, like, the Lord often uses, like, good things to distract us from the most important thing. Right, and that's just one example. Right? We could go through the gamut. We could talk wealth, money, materialism. We could talk... Uh, man, we could talk po politics, we could talk career, we could talk, I mean, a whole number of things. Relationships, conflict, like, the, the enemy will use anything, anything that he can leverage to take your eyes off of the Lord and the good work he's called you to. All right, so, that's distracting. Not only does the enemy distract, like we said, he also deceives. Right? He also deceives. Um, Multiple times in the book of Revelation, John refers to the enemy, Satan, as the deceiver. 
right? So deceiving, deception, it, it's not just like something he does. Like it's, it's foundational to who he is. That's what he does. He deceives us, right? And we see it, man, as soon as he shows up on the scene, flip all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, right? Genesis 3, like Adam and Eve got a pretty sweet gig, right? Just plants, animals, fruit, nakedness. Sounds like a pretty good deal, okay? And then the enemy, right, shows up and in one brief conversation deceives Adam and Eve to believe that God is not good and that he cannot be trusted, right? It's deception. It's what he started in Genesis 3. It's what he's been doing every day since. He deceives Right? That's, that's what he's still doing today. Every, here, that, that, like, it's true. Here's what I would say. Every, like, sin, struggle, every, uh, every false cultural narrative, we could trace it back to that deception. The enemy trying to convince us and deceive us to believe that God is not good, that he cannot be trusted. Right? Personally, like, you and I could sit down across table from one another, and if we began to sort of, sort of unpack the areas where we are most prone to sin or temptation, every one of those could be traced back to some belief, probably subconsciously, but some belief that God is not good, that he's withholding something good from me, and that I can't trust him. That's true, not just at a personal level, though, but like at a, like a cultural level, right? The the agenda, like the false narratives, the agendas that are being pushed and peddled and promoted by, I mean, it, leaders and media and politicians, both sides of the aisle, by the way, like, like they're rooted in a belief that functionally that God is not good and that he cannot be trusted. Right, so whether we're talking about at a, at a personal, individual level, level or at like a sort of macro-cultural level, Right? The enemy is always at work deceiving, right? deceiving that he would distract the people of God, take their eyes off of the work that he's called us to. Right? It's, it's like spiritual sleight of hand, and your enemy has mastered it. Right? He's mastered it. And so what I want to do here is I want to draw your attention back into the story of Nehemiah. Okay? So his enemies have sought to discourage him and distract him and deceive him from the work. Right, but let's look at how this shakes out in verse 15. It says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. Well, the first thing I thought when I read this this week is, Nehemiah was clearly not a Baptist. Right? Built the wall around the city in 52 days. I think nothing fast that happens in a Baptist church. I mean, nothing. Right? You, if we had a fire in this building right now, we would have to form a committee to appoint someone to call the fire department and then appoint someone else. I'm going to stop before I get in trouble. Okay. <laughs> All right, here's, here's what I want you to see. Let me just strike that from the record. Here's what I want you to see, is that the completion of the wall, 
does not happen without at least two things, right? Actually, let me go back and read verse 16 before I give you those two things. So the wall is finished in 52 days in verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So here's the two things. Right. The completion of the wall doesn't happen without, one, first and foremost, the help of their God. And then two, it doesn't happen without a significant amount of discipline and determination on the part of Nehemiah and the people. Right, so let me go back for a second to the good work that the Lord's called you to. Right, if you're a believer, Christian, you've been saved out of the domain of darkness and transferred into uh, the, the kingdom of God, and you've been called to a good work, right? And, and that good work that he's called you to and created you for and designed you to walk in, it, it will not happen without the same thing, without the help of the Lord, right? His strength, his providence, his provision, and it will not happen without discipline and determination, Right, discipline and determination on our part. So like, we're going to trust that God will do his part, but, but we've got to do our part too. Okay, and so let me four, kind of land the plane here, four like super practical, quick points about what, what does it look like for us to live lives of, of discipline and determination. Okay, first thing is this. We pray. Remember what Nehemiah said, that the work didn't happen without the help of their God. Right? Any work that the Lord is going to call us to as individuals or as a church, like it's not going to be accomplished in our own strength and our own power, by our own ability, by our own wisdom, by our own knowledge. Like we're, like it should like kind of shock us sometimes that the Lord would choose to use us. You know, like, you ever just feel like, like you just don't really got it all together? It's because you don't. And the Lord still chooses to use you. And so we want to we ask him to bless our efforts and bless our energy and bless like our work because he's the one who's going to accomplish it through us. All right, so we want to ask him to do what we can't do on our own. Right, so we're going to pray. Here's the second thing. I'm talking about living with discipline and determination. Second thing, know the word. Know the word. All right, we'll talk more about the importance of the word next week. That's going to be a pretty central theme in next week's sermon. But um, here's what I would say this morning. The best way to spot a counterfeit is to know the real thing. And so we're talking about how the enemy deceives us, right? convinces us to believe lies about God. Right? The best way to know the truth, or the best way to spot a lie, I should say, is to know the truth. To know the word. Right? And, and I would say this. Sunday morning is not enough. Like if this is, if this is the only sort of intake of the word that you're getting, like I'm just going to say it's not enough. I, I try, I labor, I work really hard to like give you something substantive each week. Some weeks are better than others. I know. Some weeks you get like Jeff Ruby's. Some weeks you get White Castle. Okay? I try. But even if I served up like 
the best sermon like imaginable, week after week after week. That's one meal a week. And ain't nobody growing in any sort of healthy way on one meal a week. You gotta know the word. You gotta get in it regularly, consistently, on your own. Right? Learn how to do some, some self-feeding. Okay? And, and maybe you're like, hey, that sounds great. I don't know where to start. Perfect. Right? We, we got, there's apps you can download that'll help you get in the word on a consistent basis. Right? I had somebody ask me just uh, recently for some, some reading plans. Would love, like, I can put those in your hands, right? Just to get you in the word consistently. Right? To, to know the truth, because the best way to spot a lie is to know the truth. Right, here's the next one. So we're going to pray, know the word. Here's the next one. Know yourself. Right, know yourself. So I was in, I was in Denver last Sunday. Um, if you want to know my thoughts on Denver, I can tell you after service. I don't want to get in trouble here. So, uh, but I was in Denver last week for like a leadership sort of retreat. And one of the things that we really focused on was self-awareness. Right, like, like kind of growing in your understanding of your own strengths, your own weaknesses, your own gifts and abilities, the own, your, like the areas of your life where you, uh, you have some opportunity to grow. Okay? What I discovered last week is I have a lot of those. So, um, but, but back to my point here. Like, if we're going to live lives of discipline and determination, like we need to know, like, where are we? Like, be self-aware enough to know, like, where am I easily distracted? Right? What are the things that can easily draw my attention away from the Lord and the work he's called me to? And that's going to look different for all of us, right? Different phases of life, different um, responsibilities, right? But we've all got our thing. What, what is it that, that distracts you or you're prone to be distracted by? What, what, what lies? Like, what, where are you prone to being deceived, Right, what lies from the enemy are you more prone to believing? And we've got to know those things about ourselves. Right, and that leads me to, to kind of the fourth point. Because one of the best ways to know yourself is to be known by others. Pray, know the word, know yourself, be known by others. Right, basically what I'm talking about here is just the importance of biblical community. Like you need brothers and sisters in your life that can like reel you back in whenever they see you distracted out in left field somewhere. Like you need brothers and sisters in your life that can, uh, that, that can speak truth and love when, when you're believing the lies of the enemy. Like people, that will, people that will step in and say, hey, I, listen, I see this present in your life and like, it concerns me. Okay, in love, Right? You need brothers and sisters in your life that like, will help you see your blind spots. And maybe you're like, I don't have any blind spots. They're called blind spots for a reason. <laughs> you don't know that you have them. Right? You need people in your life that can point those things out and say, like, mm, that's not consistent with, with what you claim to be. Right? We need that. Right? Pray, know the word, know yourself, be known by others. But, but one last thing, and I, and I promise we're approaching the runway here. Not only does the enemy distract and deceive believers, right, he does do that. Not only does the enemy distract and deceive believers, 
But he also distracts and deceives those who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's how he prevents us and keeps, keeps us from, from placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Distracts us, deceives us. So like even in a room as small as this, I, I don't know all of your stories, I don't know all your backgrounds, I don't need to, but like even a room as small as this, like I'm not so naive to believe that, that maybe there aren't some here this morning that have been distracted and deceived into believing like, they, you, like you and God are good, but you're actually not. Like it's, it's possible to be distracted by a bunch of religious activity but never have actually repented of your sin and placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Like that's, a, like that's possible. Right, it's possible to be deceived into believing that, that just having some level of biblical knowledge is the same thing as having saving faith in Jesus Christ. Right, it's possible to be deceived into that. Right, it, it's possible to make a profession of faith at the age of six and being dunked under some water to make mom and dad happy when the reality is, is like you are just trying to appease mom and dad. Like you have no desire for holiness, no desire to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Like there's been no evidence of spiritual maturity or fruit in your life. And you've deceived yourself into believing because you got wet at the age of six that now you're in good shape. I'm not saying people can't get saved at the age of six. I'm just saying like, what was the reason behind it? Because you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ or was it to make somebody happy? It's, here's how I'd sum it up. It's possible to live your entire life expecting to arrive in eternity and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, only to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And that should be a sobering thing for us. There's a reason that the Bible says often, like, hey, Examine yourselves. Make sure you are in the faith. And so, if that's you this morning, and again, I don't know your story. It's not my, I don't get to judge and decide. Like, that's you and the Lord. But I, here's what I would say. My prayer as I've prepared this message and kind of in, in this moment, is just that the Spirit would bring some really, like, make, make, it, make you really aware of whether or not you've, you've just been distracted and deceived or you've actually put your trust in Jesus Christ. And so, regardless though, regardless of where you are here this morning, here's the good news. Believer, unbeliever. I would say anywhere in between, but there are no betweens. Like it's, you believe or you don't. Right, here's, the, here's the good news for us. Is that, like, despite where we've been distracted, despite where we've been deceived, the good news is that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible invites us to return to him. Right? To return, where, where we've been distracted and, and kind of led astray, we've been deceived and led astray, the God of the Bible, through faith in Jesus Christ, invites us to return to him, to repent, right, to repent, whether that's for the first time or for the 50,000th time, right, that's what the good news of Jesus, like, makes, it's, what, it's, it's what's available to us this morning, and that's the invitation 
to you. You've been distracted. You've been deceived. As a believer, repent. Come back to him. If this morning you've come to this realization like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure if I am a believer. Repent. Right? Through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, you're invited into a relationship with the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe. Right? But you've got to take that step. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come to you grateful for your word. Um, Father, I pray this morning that just in, in, the, in this moment, as we kind of move towards a response time, uh, Father, my prayer is that you would bring to mind things that we've allowed to distract us from you and from the work that you've called us to. Would you bring to mind um, or things, probably good things, that the enemy has leveraged to take our, uh, our, our gaze off of you? Lord, would you open our eyes to see where we've been deceived, where we've, where we've believed the lies of the enemy, hook, line, and sinker? Or would you, would you open our eyes to see that? Or some of us, like, we just, we don't see it because by its very nature, it's deception. Like, we don't even realize it. Let's pray right now that Spirit of God, that you would open our eyes to see where we've believed the lies of the enemy whether that's believer, whether that's unbeliever. Father, I pray right now that you, that you would bring some awareness. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that, that has never actually trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life, but they've been distracted and deceived into believing that they have. And I pray that you would bring just a vivid awareness this morning to the true, uh, true condition of their souls. And then, Father, I pray that Lord, you would be kind enough to convict us and that that kindness would lead us to repentance, to turn our eyes away from sin, away from ourselves, away from distractions, away from deceptions, and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Father, we trust you to do this this morning. We're asking you to do this this morning. Pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.